This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and today I have a, a special guest. We're going to talk about lots of really cool things uh, in the waterfowl world, the food world. Just, it's going to be a great episode. I'm really excited. So, uh, but first, let me go over some quick updates, uh, kind of news since our last show. So, uh, updates for me, uh, I guess we're. Man, it doesn't seem like it's already here, but uh, Colorado is about to close out their uh, spring turkey drawings. So trying to get, I was just looking at the website, trying to get things finalized for spring turkey. Uh, the big news this year is my daughter did hunter's ed in the fall. So she's uh, she's now able to put in for turkey tags. So we're going to get her into the drawing as well. And then um, I think the other big news for us is that uh, we're headed up to the BHA Rendezvous in March up in Missoula. Uh, looking to have a booth up there and maybe wild food panel and some cooking demos and, and some things like that. I, I decided to take the year off from uh, cooking the big game or the big dinner, wild food dinner and things like that. So uh, just want to hang out with everybody a little more, I think, and uh, just kind of have a little a little time to, to chill, which is good. So uh, let's see. Other than that, um, our wild pig camp scheduled in May down in Texas. Uh, both camps are out released. Uh, we've got a couple folks already signed up for our first camp in May. Uh, and then also we've got December on the books. I know it's way far out, but we're anticipating it to, to fill up quick. So if you've got an interest in learning to shoot, hunt, butcher, cook wild pigs then that's the camp for you all in one fun filled three-day weekend and then uh just recently all of our spice blends are back in stock 
with the exception of our big game blend, which quickly sold out. So uh, they're all up on the website. We've got tons of small game and tons of waterfowl, which are both phenomenal on those respective items. And then also on uh, whatever. I put the, the waterfowl on my wild pork and on my elk and deer. It's all pretty phenomenal. But uh, yeah, that's big news for me. Uh, not not really a whole lot to unpack there, but still some fun stuff going on in the in the world. Uh, also, it's frigid in Denver. It's like uh, it was, I think, negative two yesterday, uh, which is pretty insane. And uh, I tried to get out to do some goose hunting on uh, Saturday. Uh, cold temperatures, lots of fog and uh, s- snow. Uh, it's like a misty snow. I've never seen it like that before, and it uh, presented some unique challenges that none of the geese were moving. So I didn't last too long out there before I called it quits. But uh, yeah. Anyway, let me uh, let me introduce our guest here. So our guest today is a hunter, angler, guide, cook, and outdoor writer. In 2017, he bought a boarded-up church and turned it into a duck lodge. But this isn't your ordinary lodge. It's much more. Today, seasoned waterfowlers, working professionals new to hunting, adult onset hunters, and many others find their way through the doors of the Black Duck Revival. Their hunting experiences aren't about guarded spots, bragging rights, or limiting out on game. They're about giving everyone a taste of the hunt. Uh, Jonathan Wilkins, welcome to the Wild Fishing Game Podcast. Hey, bud. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, glad we could finally connect, and thanks for making time with uh, with all the family changes going on. So really appreciate that. Yeah, it's um, uh, As I was chatting with Jonathan about is uh, I, w- I was trying to track him down at rendezvous last year so we could chat and i actually remember like looking across the the whole area there and seeing you presenting and i was like i gotta go over there and then somebody's like hey we need you to come over here and do this and i was like oh okay great so uh but no here we are uh i guess are you going to rendezvous this year not this year man i've got i've got to be or got to be i get to be uh down on a turkey hunt in south texas Oh, cool! So yeah, that's there awesome. Was, there was like a, <clears throat> I had talked to Hank. Uh, mm-hmm. He was doing some cooking. We were talking about. I was seeing if maybe I'd come up for a day, but it just doesn't work out, you know. Oh man, uh, what kind of uh, turkeys are you getting into down there in Texas? Uh, are Rios. Yeah, those would be Rios there. Uh, man, possibly Easterns too. And then there's always that fuzzy line where they, you know, birds will. Uh, do a little hybrid dance, but I, I think primarily Rio's. Yeah, that's awesome though. No, it'll be good. Uh, March in South Texas sounds better than March in or uh, August in in South Texas. So that that sounds good. Maybe even March in Missoula. I don't know how cold it's going to be, but uh, last year it got pretty chilly unexpectedly, and we yeah, were way wind later blowing, in the year. Man, that wind cooled. Yeah. Down. And we got in trouble. We had uh, one of the birch barrels. So talked to our friend Jamie who works with birch barrel. And we're like, hey, bring one of the birch barrels over to our booth. And we had a fire inside of it. And uh, I don't know if it's like the park manager came over and quickly quickly shut it down. But we lost our, our heater for the, for the rest of the time. Man, I got around one of those birch barrels one of those days, man. It, it made a difference. Get yeah. Your hands up for sure. Those shit. things are cool. Yeah, they are neat. Those things are cool. Um. But yeah, so could you tell us uh, sort of a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into hunting? Um, I, I've obviously done a bit of research, but uh, I think for our listeners, I'd love to learn more about you. 
Sure. Uh, yeah, man, I'll try and make it succinct. <laughs> I, uh, I grew up in St. Louis, and I moved to uh, the small town in Arkansas to go to this uh, to go to college, this little liberal arts school, and uh, met a girl and stayed in Arkansas, and ended up moving into an old trailer uh, on her family property, like where she grew up, and uh, we, like fixed it up, you know, made it livable, and uh, just ended up having like a little hobby farm kind of deal out there, and. Uh, that's where I started hunting, right? Like it was on 15 acres. It butted up to a bunch of uh, big, mature white oak forest. And I had a buddy that was out there. We were uh, working on a project and he was, he was just losing his mind over this habitat, right? And uh, mm-hmm. and so, you know, just sitting there swinging a hammer all day long. We're talking about it and then we, you know, go off into the woods and he's showing me bit off Greenbrier and, you know, sign and... Uh, and, you know, just like explaining stuff. And yeah, so then that year I bought a bow. I did a little squirrel hunting, got a bow, uh, killed a deer with a bow, killed a deer with a rifle. Uh, and then either that year or the next year I started, uh, had someone take me out duck hunting a few times. Uh, and then man, it just kind of, you know, uh, proofed after that, right? Like it just, I just, I kind of had like a lot of time uh, mm-hmm. to just be self-determinate. And there's a lot of public land in Arkansas, so I just kind of went, you know, with, with the internet and and thrift store camo and just humping it around a bunch, kind of trying to make up on all the the stuff I hadn't learned, you know, from ten to sure. to twenty seven. Unique, there was like a like an aha moment where you're like, oh man, this is totally for me, or it just kind of like ease into it very naturally. Uh, man, so. Uh, I bought a compound bow and two weeks later I killed a, you know, for around here, like what my friends had seen, like a pretty good deer. Uh, and I feel like that's when I was, uh, I felt like, uh, you know, there was something serendipitous about it. Like I went down mm-hmm. a spot, I picked a tree, you know, did a little grunt routine. He came in like beat up a tree and peed down his legs. Uh, you know, I shot him at 12 yards, uh, and then he, you know, he ran a couple hundred yards and uh, bedded down and died. Uh, but just like that whole process, you know, I was just like, man, this is doable, right? Uh, and it, man, it felt right. It uh, it was really resonant with me, and uh, yeah, man. And then I I went hard for it, right? Nice. I like it. No, that's that's a that's an awesome way. I, I I always like to hear sort of how folks got into it. Um, you know, and everybody's got different paths, uh, which is which is great to hear. Um, so this is kind of a fun question that our podcast producer Corey loves me to ask: is uh, what's in your freezer, and what's something you're excited to cook next? Hmm. So freezers, we've got, uh, so man, you know, we've got some, a couple of wild hogs, uh, we've got, uh, legs and thighs and wings off of some turkey still. Uh, there's some white tail in there. There's some elk. There's a black bear. Uh, you know, just like freshwater fish, so like you know, cat yeah. and brim. 
Uh, I know there's something else. Hold up. Mm. And I said, obviously, ducks and geese, right? Like, tons of those. Uh, man, that's probably it. There, there were, like, some cool... There was some cool stuff in there, like, six months ago. <laughs> it's all good. That's that's The cool stuff's the first to go to get eaten yeah. in my freezer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, like, we've... We like we enjoy the, the the bear meat, you know. Like I prefer that to venison. So, like I've got. Did you? Uh, I saw a post. Did you recently get a bear in the fall? Uh, yeah, I killed a bear this year in September. Nice. Where uh, there in Arkansas? Yep, in the Wachita. Nice. Mountains. Oh yeah, I know the Wachita. They run in. So I'm from Oklahoma, southeastern Oklahoma originally. Yeah. Wachita run over into Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah, I grew up hunting in that area, for sure. Um, well, not in the Arkansas side, on the Oklahoma side, but we always had, there was always these stories of that they would take the nuisance bears from Arkansas and they would collar them and bring them to Oklahoma. And so that if anybody, and they had like these trackers implanted in them and like all this crazy, like, this is stuff that people just cook up because they have a lot of free time. And they're like, if you shoot that bear and it's a, it's in your house, like they're going to know the trackers there and they're going to come get you. And I'm like. I, I don't I don't know this like I've never seen a bear in person and growing up in Oklahoma so I had no idea. Well, I mean, you know, there's a there's but, a pretty healthy bear population in southeast Oklahoma now, and it's yeah. <coughs> excuse me, you know, as I understand it, it's not because they were trapping nuisance bears. It's just because you know bears were reintroduced in Arkansas, and as they established themselves and proliferated, you know, they've I mean they fed into Missouri, so Missouri's got a season now. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma's had a season for a while. Uh, I think they're talking about it in Louisiana. Uh, and that's all, those are all Arkansas bears that made their way out. Right. Uh, yeah. Which I think is, it's great. Like I, I don't, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't think I believe the truth behind, uh, some of the old rumors that it's definitely just like a natural process, but people couldn't at the time wrap their head around on why bears were just suddenly appearing in Oklahoma. Yeah, man, they were probably, I mean, you know, they were probably there by Fort Smith and then started creeping over and Mm -hmm. the Badlands, as they refer to them. Yep, yep. So, no, it's cool. Um, What has going to, oh, something, something you're looking forward to cooking next. And I know, uh, I know cooking may not be on your mind with the, with the new one, new little one. Oh, no, we're still, we still got to eat, man. Uh, (laughs) Well, So tonight we had, so yesterday we had uh, uh, like ribs off of a off of a couple of pigs that me and my wife had killed down in Texas, and then I took the leftover ribs and made uh, greens and a uh, pot of beans. So we'll probably eat that for a couple of days. What would be next? Uh, hmm, man, you know, probably I'll probably do a bear roast or something next. Uh, which I'm always jazzed about that. That's, I mean, that's just top shelf. Just, man, just great, you know. Just really great intramuscular fat content and just tastes like really great pot roast with all the, you know, kind of mouth feel that you want for it. Uh, and then, man, we've been doing a bunch of tamales. Like, I just did a bunch of Sandhill Crane tamales. and Oh, nice. I haven't heard of using Sandhill Crane in tamales. It's 
Man, I like that. you know, everybody says that like the legs are inedible, and that's total horse shit, man. Like we we killed some down in Texas a couple weeks ago. Did a taste test. I took a, I I hauled a speck down there that I killed in Arkansas, and we did side by side. You know, the two ribeyes of the skies. Did a taste comparison, and then I cooked the legs off those cranes down, and uh, you know, rehydrated my peppers with the braising liquid and all that stuff. Made tamales. Man, they were killer. I mean. Very analogous to wild turkey. Uh, yeah, they've got a man. They've got a ton of tendons, like really hard, uh, like bony protrusion type tendons uh, that almost look like feathers. Like they're they're really quite beautiful. But uh, that's the only annoying thing. You just have to. But I mean, if you can pick the meat off a squirrel, you can you can break those things down, right? Yeah, man. I just like I it, it kind of doesn't frustrate me, but uh. Like lift an eyebrow and people are like, no, the leg meat. Talk about like ducks and geese and all the things. I'm like, come on, like, uh, you know, appreciative of sort of the whole the whole use of the animal. And like cranes can't be any different. Like, no, they were great. I mean, we plucked them. You know, like no one plucks cranes. I was like, man, let's pluck them. Let's see what's up. Uh, I mean, virtually no fat content at all on those birds, right? Which to me was kind of the, the taste difference between that and the speckle belly is that skin and fat mm-hmm. content on, on on the goose, but otherwise they're very analogous. Uh, dude, that's a lot of that's a lot of folks being lazy and then trying to find a way to justify it. Because like straight up, like the legs on a mallard, the birds this year in Arkansas have been particularly fatty, which is something I've never said about Arkansas birds before. They're usually not. <laughs> they've been, they've man, the teal have just been butterballs, right? Like the geese have been really fat. The mallards have been fat. And I've been getting breasted out birds, breasted out teal from people and plucking the legs and thighs and cutting the legs and thighs off and just having a mess of them and brazing them down. And they are, I mean, they are, it's like what you thought a duck leg, it's like what you thought duck tasted like before the first time someone just screwed up some duck and gave it to you, right? I mean, it's like uh, it's like a cart, like a cartoon chicken leg, right? Like if they stick the thing in their mouth and yeah. just pull out the bone, it's the best thing ever. And people are road ditching this stuff, and it just it boggles my mind. Uh, and so there's so many levels, right? To approach mm-hmm. it on. There's like the moral level, the ethical level, the pragmatism level, uh, just pure self-serving narcissistic greed like this is delicious stuff it's delicious stuff you know it's like why why would you take a ribeye and cut all the fat off of it because that's what you're doing if you're not plucking those geese and those ducks right yeah yeah i remember like the first restaurant i cooked at in new orleans is we did we did like it's farm-raised duck but like really good quality farm-raised duck Mm -hmm. and like the the legs and stuff oh man like that part roasting them and then we would debone them all and then like put put it back in kind of the the skin mm-hmm. so that you you basically you got the dish was served with sort of like this pulled pulled slash shredded just like crumbled meat with this crispy delicious skin on top of it and that was like the one thing like every time it came out of the oven I would like sneak I would just sneak a little bit like oh it was just so good and then you know, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. Like growing up as a kid, like we were taught just breast the birds out and move on. And it wasn't until I was adult that I was like, 
there just seems something wrong with this. And then getting into it and digging into the research and learning more about it and then taking like my experiences in the culinary world and it was like, why are people getting rid of this stuff? Like this, you know, it's, it's like buying meat from the store, cutting it in half and throwing the other half in the trash. Well, like the best, like <clears throat> the best tasting part too, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. That fat, that subcutaneous fat uh, that's on those birds or like on those bears, like, you know, it's kind of become in vogue the last couple of years because uh, of Newcomb, like with bear grease and stuff. But there's so mm-hmm. many people that were. I was turkey hunting in Michigan, talking to this guy, and he's like, "Man, you can uh, you can use bear fat." I was like, "You know, he's killing bears every year." I said, "Dude, I mean, again, like even if someone saw this as like some tree hugging hippy dippy stuff, right? Like I'm telling you, saving the fat off a bear and making biscuits with it, or frying fish in it, or uh, whatever it might be, is." exponentially better right uh those tamales are so much better by taking the time to pluck and put that skin in there right and that kind of breaks down and adds collagen to it and it gives you that mouth feel that you want and that just slickness right uh the lack of which i think a lot of people that are conditioned to eat meat that ate nothing but corn they miss that's how you get some of Mm -hmm. it it's, it's not all about you know i'm so I'm so refined and my palate is uh, so mature that I can, uh, you know, I can digest these, these funky tasting things. Like you want the stuff to taste better? Keep all of that stuff, right? That big glob of fat in the ass into the duck when you were plucking it, take that and render that down and make your roof for your gumbo. You'll be putting layers of flavor on this. That's that, that you cannot replicate, right? No. Yeah. And that, um, also, too, I've been I've been doing a lot of research about like some of the health benefits in animal fat versus some of like seed oils and things like that, and sure. you know still use seed oils and stuff. But it seems like things are swinging a bit direction, and I know it's uh, the research world is sometimes fickle when it comes to food topics of what's good and what's bad. But uh, I, I still stand by a lot of wild game, and why not to like wild fats as well? Do you uh, do you render the fat off those pigs down in Texas? Yeah, you know what we you know what we do with them. We do them in our camp too. We make we make cookies with them the first night, oh, and that's like that's like the aha moment. of people are like, "What?" We're like, "Yeah, we're making pork fat cookies. Like you can use the por- you can use it. It's perfect." No, we had a uh, we pulled a ton off Casey's pig. That he shot, and then this time we had a a film guy with us, and he he shot a pig as well, and his was super fat. I mean, like we pulled the belly off, and it looked like like thin bacon. That's how yeah. like the fat was just beautiful. Uh, yeah, dude, people should be taking advantage of that stuff, man. Yeah, and uh, what was it? One of them too, like the copa cut on the back. Yeah. Looked like something you would buy at the grocery store. Like, it was just, it was beautiful. Make some gabagoo. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Man, we went in a, a bunch of different, a bunch of different directions all at once. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment 
and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. One thing I was curious about is, like, where did sort of the intersection with food and, and wild game kind of hit for you? Like, the the translation from the hunting to the eating? Uh, well, you know, so I was like, I was working in food, cooking and on and off kind of for a long time. Uh, and, and then the, the moving out to a rural area uh, and starting to hunt, you know, like started to grow a big garden. Started to hunt. Started, you know, was finally in a situation where we could have chickens, and we had chickens and ducks and geese, and we had a couple of goats, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Just being involved in it in that way, and and then being out in those woods, like I said, man, there's all these huge white oaks everywhere, uh, really pretty woods, uh, and so I started googling, you know, like cooking with acorns, like surely this stuff's edible, right? And I think when I kind of like entered that realm, when I was like trying to figure out how to eat acorns, uh, <laughs> that, that, I mean, all of it made sense. Right. So I was hunting. I had a little restaurant operation going on. I was, I was raising birds and then slaughtering them and make turning, you know, doing duck ham. This is, I don't know, when, uh, 2010, something like that. Uh, and making duck ham and then serving them, serving these sandwiches, uh, like in a bar. Right. Uh, and just kind of given, just trying, giving a shit about execution. Right. Like I had a small menu in that bar, but used all local meat, used all local cheese, baked all the bread, baked all the hamburger buns. So all of that was happening at the same time. Uh, and it all just worked, worked with each other. Right. Just like being as involved in the processes as you possibly could be. So seems to me like a pretty, pretty natural transition into just sort of digging into the world of wild food, like kind of as, as you got more and more involved with hunting. Uh, yeah, I mean like, right. Well, you know, right from the beginning, uh, like I've never, I've never taken a deer to a processor. I've never taken a critter to a processor, you know? So it was, it was always that level from the beginning, uh, which, you know, to me, it's, you know, it's, in a lot of ways, it's like an examination of craft, right? And, and what that means. Mm-hmm. And craft as an exercise that uh, isn't necessarily limited to something you do professionally, just as a way that you interact with the world. Uh, so, yeah, man, it, it just all... You know, I mean, like, I was I was spray painting hoodies and, like, trying to make my own camo and... 
like uh, cutting out carpet and sticking it on my feet to try and be like a bobcat, you know, and just getting as weird as I could with it. <laughs> That's awesome. I like it. I, uh, man, yeah, you, you can market that, the carpet now. Lots of people are <laughs> trying to get into that with bow hunting out here in the West. Dude, it does. It works actually amazingly well. If you just take some old shag carpet and, you know, cut it out in the shape of your foot and put a couple straps on it, uh, it is incredibly effective. Uh, it just, you know, it gets gunked up. You got to keep them clean. But, uh, you know, I had people in the bar laughing at me about it. But, like, man, especially on a little bit of damp ground, I mean, mm-hmm. it's silent. I mean, I got buddies that'll kick their shoes off and walk in their socks, stocking elk. So, like, carpet seems like a very natural, like, safer transition than getting, you know, a thorn or God knows what in your foot. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, you know, a bear or a bobcat or something, they got that hair on their paws, so when they walk, it kind of muffles the sound. But, I mean, this is, this is 13, 14 years ago, you know, I'm goofing off of that. That's fair, man. So let's let's shift gears a little bit. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about Black Duck Revival and like how that sort of came to be and how you took that vision in your mind and and created it to be something that that seems very special. Uh, so that started just as you know, I'd been doing some public land hunting for a few years around uh, Brinkley, Arkansas, which is a town that the lodge is in and mm-hmm. one day after hunting i was just driving around and you know trying to find just some dilapidated just some cheap little you know flop house that i could maybe get a hold of and just use as a camp for me and my buddies to duck hunt uh and i looked at a couple places and ended up you know i, I mean i did this for maybe a couple of months but i ended up finding this old church and i bought it and uh, thought i was just going to kind of do like a superficial flip on it and it just ended up being just rotten you know like all the way rotten so uh so i just you know but i i was kind of finding that out as i was peeling layers back and putting money into it and then you know i was in a situation where it's like you're gonna lose this money or you're gonna try and do something with it so i said man well i'll build this out and i just did the work myself uh on my days off and we just built it out and i said man we'll We'll use it, and then when we're not using it, we'll Airbnb it, you know, some other duck hunters. Uh, so did that the first year and kind of had some folks out for a hunt, just some folks I would kind of discovered on uh, social media, uh, just kind of folks that seemed like outside the fray as far as hunting. And, you know, that was kind of like the first rudimentary idea of doing these hunts. And it, man, it was it went so well and it was so fun and I just felt like I was good at it. Uh, I said, man, I'll try and do a couple more next year, and then that couple more turned into a bunch that year. Uh, and then yeah, it's been that since. And then it expanded into like I do these uh, <clears throat> I do these uh, like catfish alternative met- method catfish trips where you just like me and one or two other people and we spent a weekend just drifting through the bayous, really cool environments and, you know, talking about birds and catching catfish and eating really good. 
it's a it's a fun way to spend a couple of days. So you know, I do that, and then now it's turned into uh, I go other places and kind of do the same sort of thing. Uh, folks will have me come out and do cooking and cleaning demos, uh, which I mean, like you know, you're doing, and there's other folks that are doing some of that stuff. Uh, and you know, I don't know. I'd say I just I kind of bring a particular spin to it, and so folks that are into my spin on stuff uh, and the way I approach it uh, seems like they get a lot out of the classes, you know. So uh, what uh, what's kind of your spin on it? Just curious. Uh, not well, not gonna not gonna take your ideas oh, just no, no, no. <laughs> for conversation's yeah, sake. Well, <laughs> you know, I think there's. You know, I'm really motivated by the idea of self-determination and self-capability. So, one, uh, the whole pursuit is an exercise in those uh, ideas, Mm -hmm. Uh, which, depending on who you are and where you come from and what your background is or for any number of reasons, could be really, uh, could really be really empowering for you, right? Uh, So, I think there's that perspective. I think... uh, just kind of appreciating and embracing and acknowledging how uh, how fascinating and fraught the South is, you know, with many different things, you know, hunting and fishing and relationships between people being, you know, amongst many of them and uh, in many ways like the saving grace of uh, some of those, you know, societal shortfalls has, has been food. Right in the way that mm-hmm. people have interacted and melded with food, so I think there's that uh, approach to it, and 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 because of that, uh, you know, there's a there's a democratization uh, of the idea of cooking to me within that. So there's this real trend. I'd say most of wild food that I've seen in the last ten years. Uh, is one, and I'll, I'll just say this because uh, I think he doesn't, he hasn't been getting enough credit lately. Uh, but I think a lot of it in the last 10 years has been Hank Shaw derivative. Uh, and a lot of times without people even realizing that's where a lot of that stuff came from. Uh, and then I, think, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, and I'm not saying that Hank uh, invented anything, but uh, I mean, last 15 years, like, you know, he, he really kind of changed the trajectory of wild food. Uh, and then a lot of people were just doing versions of his stuff uh, and never really realizing where it came from. Uh, so I think that there's that, which becomes boring to me, right? Because it's the same thing over and over again. And then I think there's an elitism to it as well. Uh, you know, so you have people posturing and talking about, you know, I provide the most ethically sourced organic protein for my family. <laughs> Right. Uh, without even thinking yeah. about the fact that, especially as we move into like Western hunting, uh, you know, this isn't, this isn't like, uh, there's some access to resources that you need to hunt, right? Like duck hunting mm-hmm. is not a cheap pursuit. Uh, you know, uh, backcountry hunting is not an inexpensive pursuit, right? I mean, you can do both cheaply, but usually not. Uh, so I think people get up on a high horse about access to ingredients and then they have to, they have to razzle dazzle you with everything. Right. So like there's been this real trend lately of, of venison Wellington, 
uh, like heart tartars. I've seen a bunch of uh, a few years ago. You know, everyone was doing call fat type stuff, which is yeah. which is all cool. Uh, but I I'm more interested, you know, in someone who has developed a really fantastic like Midwest goulash recipe for their whitetail, you know, that's been in their family for 30 years. Uh, or like the idea of gumbos on many different levels, like historically, ingredient-wise, culturally different expressions of, of those like soups or stews. Those are really fascinating to me. So that that holds my interest much more than, you know, microgreens and everybody who's ever cooked anything calling themselves a chef. Uh, you know, like is to me, that's almost more of like a rank. And I don't think you get that rank uh, if you've never worked in a professional kitchen, which is not required to be an excellent cook, but just everybody. Mm -hmm. And like you're wearing whites for no reason. Like, have you ever worn whites that I don't think they're comfortable? You know, I'd rather Mm -mm. cook with an apron and a, like a Hanes undershirt. Uh, Yep. But, yep. So, yeah, so I would say that that would be uh, my approach. And then also, like, whole animal usage, again, not just out of this this moral righteousness. Like, I think we as hunters, we we do stuff and then we try and justify it or wrap it up or explain it away with this idea of conservation, right? And uh, conservation is uh, something that as I've become more developed as a hunter, I've I cared more about, right? And matters more to me, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't at the forefront of my mind when I started hunting, right? Like I wanted to see if I could, I I wanted to see if I was capable of feeding myself, right? Like, uh, without, without, you know, with as limited a touch of modernity as possible. Uh, And I think I even think back to like, coming up as a hunter you know as a kid and like teenage and like you know you're you're taught of conservation through like hunter's ed at the state or you know we think like growing up in a an agriculture family like that con that sort of like conservation land stewardship conservation is there but like from a hunting sense it was about like going out and catching or going out and shooting whatever we were pursuing and then getting out and doing it. And the food came after the fact. And it wasn't until like, you know, being older that reflecting back and like looking at the interactions of the food with my family that I realized like, wow, this, it, the hunting and the fishing, particularly fishing, I did a lot with my grandfather, but I realized too, like, Sometimes we didn't have a lot of money to do other things. So it was like, oh, well, we can just go fishing. And it's like, all right, let's go. And then it's come back. And, you know, a lot of people these days frown on eating largemouth bass. But I grew up eating largemouth bass. And I think they're yeah. they're phenomenal. And part of that, I think there would have been some struggles if those largemouth bass weren't in, weren't hitting the table at my house. But, no, I, I, think, uh, I think the value of the food side of it is great. But... In, in reflecting on it, like the conservation piece of like protecting public lands, taking care of the land around you. Like, you know, I remember as a kid, like, Oh, don't pollute, don't throw things, don't do this, you know, don't dump things in the water. But like from a conservation standpoint, I don't think it hit me till I was later in life 
like the value. Yeah, I mean, I had to be taught that stuff, right? Uh huh. And th- I think everybody does, right? And I think just folks should be. Maybe this is me getting up on a soapbox, but like, there's no, there's no need to be disingenuous. Like, hunting is a is a strange, fraught thing, uh, and I think that we're uh, we're too dismissive of all the different uh, reasons for like all the different whys, right? So, I mean, there's there's self capability, and there's romance, and there's food, and there's conservation, and there's testing oneself, and there's uh, you know, trying to unplug or turn off or, I mean, there's a million different reasons and, and I feel like they're weighted differently depending on where you're at in your life and how the situation presents itself. Um, and I mean, that's part of, that's part of the good stuff too, right? Like you can participate in, in many different ways. I mean, I feel like as long as I'm, I'm doing it in a way that I feel is, uh, fits my moral compass. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, obviously legal, but I mean, beyond legal, yeah. just like feels right to me. Uh, I feel like I'm doing something good and that, and that changes, right? I, I've had a lot of conversations too. And I think I'm, I'm like in the same headspace with you on that is like, you know, the, the legality of it is obviously the forefront, but sometimes too, like just because, it's legal doesn't mean that that's the path I'm going to choose. Not saying that I would deviate from the law, but like, I don't know what's a good example. Um, I guess Dauphin tags are an example. Like I, I set something for myself as like, and I know there's science behind it, but just like in my mind, I play it different of like, I won't take a doe that has, you know, a yearling or a fawn with it. Like I won't, I won't shoot Are you that. Talking about deer, or pronghorn, or just anything. Deer, pronghorn, like yeah, I won't. If it sees like a visible pair, like they're still together. And I know science, science has since proven that usually they're they find another companion. The the or the fawn would find another companion or whatever. But I I don't know. Still like morally, like I, I don't know. I draw the line. Personal choice, but sure. Yeah. Or like some folks don't want to, you know, some folks don't want to hunt bears or yeah. whatever it is, don't want to hunt with dogs or don't want to hunt cats or uh, don't want to hunt without a certain other person. Like somebody, some people only want to hunt like with their grandpa or their dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I don't need to wring my hands about this. I just <laughs> think that uh, there's a lot of different reasons to do it. Uh and if I'm being honest, like the conservation, I had, I had zero idea about it. You know, I didn't even know that you were, uh, dude, I didn't know about like Hunter's Ed and all that stuff. Like all that stuff I had to be taught. Like I hunted with a friend my first year on like a Hunter's Deferred and then, uh, or Hunter's Ed Deferred, you know, they like let you hunt mm-hmm. for one year. and then Yeah, we have like, uh, what is it? It's like an apprentice hunt or something in Colorado yeah. is what they call it. So... Uh, anyway, what else you want to talk about? Man? <laughs> um, I guess um, I do want to talk about cooking before we run out of time. Sure, because I did like poke around. I poked around your website, and I really appreciate some of the recipes you have on there. Oh, um, thanks, man. Yeah, I've been kind of woefully non-posting on there for uh, a while, but hopefully soon back to it. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, they're still they're still good recipes. Uh, and I want to talk about first. I want up at Sitka on Sitka gear too now. So I just like kind of yeah. double. I just like double post it right, like just post a link. Mm-hmm. To it. But a lot of the stuff I write for Sitka has recipes with it, so there's a lot more like new stuff on there. Ooh, I'll have to go over there and, and poke around. I haven't been much on the, the Sitka website, but I'll, I'll go check it out. Um, we already talked, so I had in my notes to talk about, uh, you wrote an article, why do I salvage every scrap from ducks and geese? But I think we kind of, we, we definitely hit on that one sure. for sure. Um, but two, just curious, uh, top five eating birds. What do you think? Uh... So as far as birds, right, my experience is going to be waterfowl and turkeys. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Hmm. So Put you on the spot I'm on gonna that say, one. I'm going to say speck. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say speck, turkey. Speck. Teal. Uh, mallard. Wood duck? I think that's how I'd go. Ooh, nice. I like that. Yeah. I don't do a lot of like, I've never killed a dove. You know? Really? Yeah. I've just, it's not, it's so like in Arkansas, like the way, the way doves are in Texas, it's not like it's big of a cultural thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I'm just gearing up for other stuff. Like I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, I'm trying to get a bunch of stuff done so I can go bear hunt. Uh, and I feel like I get it. What's the, what's the fall bear season there? Uh, this year, I mean, it was like mid September, you know, it was, mm, Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. Maybe like 17th or something of September. So, uh, I mean, it's hot, you know, it's like you're hunting in yeah. degree stuff. Uh, but yeah, so I like, I don't have, I don't have like, I've never eaten a woodcock, uh, I've eaten quail, but I've never killed a quail, uh, and I don't. I don't have really any interest in uh, like the pen pen raised birds. Uh, yeah. So yeah, man. That's I mean that's I ate a lot of ducks and geese and these turkeys the last few years, and I'm like thoroughly obsessed with them now. I'm I'm still on the fence about turkey. I don't know. I've had. Had good ones, have had bad ones. I'm just like, I don't know. As far as eating them or or hunting them? Yeah, eating them. Well, hunting them. I've like, I definitely have a love hate relationship with hunting them. So I just get super frustrated with them. Like, but (laughs) I think they're wild, man. They're, I always say, yeah, like they're everything good about, about, uh, like duck hunting and everything, and everything good about big game hunting. Right, so you get like that talking to them, you get that communication, uh, you get that, which is great for me, like the nerding out. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. if I could spin this camera around, there's, I don't know, there's a hundred and something duck calls in this room right now. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Just, I mean, yeah, man, like, you know, there's that, right? Like I made that one and then there, here's a coyote call that you can blow as a spec call and just whatever else. Uh I love that. I love figuring out how to talk to them and how to make your voice do different things and all that. Uh, but man, it's eating a bad one. I have not eaten. I haven't eaten one that wasn't great. Maybe I just, 
maybe I just have had them not prepared great. Because I'll tell you, like, I have not, I have not shot a turkey, so I've not uh, prepared my own turkeys, uh, too. So I'll admit that. I mean, dude, I really don't. So look, I'd say breast, obviously, brine. I'm frying. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like a satay, right? You know, like I killed six turkeys last year. I was feeling froggy, so I was doing like these lemongrass satays, grilling them. They were fantastic. Oh, nice. Uh, just doing like cutlets are great. Yeah. Uh, and then legs and thighs, man, like any number of things, right? Like carnitas, or making smoked turkey salad. or uh, I haven't done just like, you know, I'm at the Renaissance Fair, big giant turkey leg yet. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and then like the breast too, I, I think that's our plan to really – to be the white meat for like the kids' lunch meat this year, uh, we're already making ham out of bears and uh, yeah, you know, send them with mule deer sandwiches and stuff. But you know, this way they keep them from being as weird at the lunch table, right? <laughs> That's right. I send my daughter gets sent with various types of wild game to school, and she's like, she's got a reputation now because she's ten, so. You know, kids are getting a little older, a little more judgy, and sure. yeah. Which she's like, whatever. It's like my dad shot this. Like I was out there too. Like I helped him carry it out, and I'm like, good. Tell your stories. Like those are your food stories. They're important. No. Um, what was I gonna say? Ah, uh, well, as we transition to some of the recipes here. Let me open this one. So I've got the corn snow goose and cabbage egg rolls. Mm-hmm. So first off, I'll tell you, huge fan of a uh, huge fan of egg rolls. I've got a couple up on the website, or on our website as well at Harvesting Nature that I did on various things from like just a traditional, you know, something you would get at the the takeout Chinese food restaurant, but like converted to wild game. I think the difference was I didn't use cabbage or I didn't use cabbage. I used Brussels sprouts because I thought it gave it like a more like very uh, bold, bold flavor. Yeah. But no, these looking at these uh, corn snow goose and cabbage egg rolls, those those look pretty phenomenal. So and in your recipe, you mentioned like not going through the corning process, like tons of resources out there on on corning, which for those that may not know corning curing like it's another method of that so but uh yeah i mean I don't it's, know, man, like, it's like a wet it's salt sugar pickling spice yeah. and insta cure right uh yep and you can do it with uh what's that like morton's tender quick you could do it with that you could do it mm-hmm. different ways uh Crop i think powder, especially when things. i did that one and like like goose pastrami was I was just like tired of seeing goose pastrami everywhere, right? Like it was, <laughs> everybody and their mother invented it one year. Uh, but yeah, man, that recipe should be tweaked because I've actually found that not cooking any of the veg first is the way to go. You just get a better texture. Still have like a little toothsomeness to it, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, super simple, man. And like do it with something that people will tell you is inedible. Uh Dude, I mean they're killer, right? Like the egg, like you said, egg roll is a great vehicle, just like a burrito or something. You get crispy on the outside. Basically, doing corned beef and cabbage all wrapped up. Yeah, then you know, eat it like bar food, right? Dip it in Thousand Island and French dressing or something. They're great. 
Man, they're so good. This is a great food. I love egg rolls. Like little little mini fried burritos. Just pillows of happiness. Yeah, man. They're like tapas style, style stuff, right? Like, yeah. uh, I just did a recipe for, uh, I mean, essentially like fried duck wings. Just like braise them first, get them fork tender, cool them off, dredge them, fry them. And then I tossed them in like this sweet spicy sauce, right? Use like cranberry relish mm-hmm. as the, the sweet part. But... Man, you know how awesome that is? You're sitting in camp and you've been, your buddies that just want to breast up birds, you've been like saving all those legs and stuff. Uh, and they add up kind of quick, you know? Uh, and then you're sitting around watching TV or hanging out, drinking beer, and you're eating those and they're so good. Uh, and you're just thinking every time you eat one, man, like people are throwing this away. Uh, but I, I love little stuff, man, that you can just kind of have a mound of and. Just just stuff that's designed to to be shared, right? Like soups and like big kind of brothy stuff and then lots of big piles of little stuff. I always get uh, the recipe comes to mind is like a Japanese heart skewer recipe. Sure. So it was originally it's like a was it Japanese I think it's yakitori yeah. is the technique, but uh, I like to do it with antelope hearts because I find a lot of antelope hunters are like, if I'm leaving things in the field, like the inside of an antelope are staying there just because that carries, when you cut the antelope open, like that sage smell, like hits you and people are just turned off by it. And I'm like, no, like get it out of that environment, get it back in the kitchen. And like the hearts are just like anything else. Like it's a muscle, but taking those and cutting them down into strips and then putting them on like the bamboo skewers or whatever with the sauce is just, but that's it. I've like, I think one year I took, I had probably six hearts that people had given me that they were like, I'm just going to leave it. And I was like, I'll take it. And then it turned around and like we had a dinner and I cooked those. And it was same exactly like the reaction. You could see that aha moment where people were like, wait, I've been leaving this in the field? Kind of like, yeah, man. I mean, you think about it too, you know, like on birds. So, like, I'll do that exact same sort of thing just with, like, whole duck hearts or uh, mm-hmm. whole speck hearts or something. Uh, but, yeah, man, doing that or dirty rice with the giblets. Uh, yes. You know, and but what you do, man, is, like, you, you do that, you know, two, three birds worth, man, you can make dirty rice for ten people. Uh, and everybody be full, and then they look, and it's like, oh, I still have all the breast meat. I still have the legs. I've still got the carcasses to make stock with. And we just mowed down. Uh, man, you get a lot. You just get... So as a functional, like feeding yourself thing, you get a lot more out of the birds. But, you know, yeah. if you're thinking about this with with your hunting experience, it's the same thing you're talking about with your daughter, right? Like what you're into, that she's, she's communicating to these people at school. Like every time... If you're getting more than just one, one or two bites of poppers out of a duck you can get four meals out of that one bird. Like that's four times the opportunity to make people listen to you tell the story of where you guys were, like how awesome your dog did or just this special thing that you saw or, you know, when so-and-so pooped all over his waiters when he was trying to get up on a log, whatever it is. (laughs) Uh, You just get to engage with the experience that many more times. Yeah. I think the, the value on that too is like, um, you mentioned it earlier and I had it in my notes of like food transcending all the cultural boundaries and like 
conversation, the ability just to talk about it is, I think I've had more conversations with people, non-hunters about food that have led to conversations about hunting or even like invitations to come hunting than anything else. Like they just start talking, oh, I made this, uh, you know, mule deer and potato curry. And they're like, oh yeah, that's really great. I was like, you want to try some? And they're like, well, yeah, actually I do. And then it turns into a big conversation about, you know, why I hunt and the value of the food and all that stuff. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, somebody's like, I think I want to know more about, like, I want to know more about it. Dude, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, I said this on a podcast of mine not too long ago, but that, like, dude, cooking is storytelling, right? So mm-hmm. I feel like, especially the way I cook and, like, you know, if you come to the, if you come to the lodge, right, like this place that I made, right, with my own hands, and then uh, you, we go out and hunt for a couple of days, and then you watch me, like, while we're, I'm showing you how to, like, wax pluck this bird or mechanically pluck it or whatever, or here's this little trick or that, and then I'm out there, you know, with the fire going, and we're skewering hearts, and we're cooking up dirty rice, and you're watching me make gumbo over two days of cooking stock down. Like you're getting a really good idea of who I am with this dish. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. really I'm communicating something to you. I'm commu- I'm communicating my values to you. Uh, you get an idea of my ethos, right? You're getting an idea of my personality, right? Like, uh, you know, some folks are like real flashy and lack substance. Some folks are just like all substance, and it just looks like you know something took a crap on a plate. You know, some people try and, I mean, most probably good cooks try and ride the line somewhere. I'm real big on textural mm-hmm. juxtaposition, right? Like I love, I love crispy things uh, with softer stuff, right? So, I mean, egg roll is a great example of that. Or mm-hmm. uh, topping, uh, you know, you could, you could top something like warm and soft uh, with like, say you're, say you're going to make like turkey and dumplings, right? And then you, or, or squirrel and dumplings or something, right? But then you, because you plucked your birds, you've got you've got turkey skin, and so you can uh, julienne that up and fry it up real quick, and just make like little cracklings and put that on top, like that's your garnish, right? Like that takes it someplace else, uh, or uh, making squirrel making squirrel and dumplings, and uh, you've made it, you've you know dealt with enough acorns to make some flour to make your little dumplings with like part acorn flour. Like that communicates something totally different than, uh, man, you know, I put cream of chicken in, I put cream of mushroom, and I put cream of celery in here, and uh, rotisserie chicken, and, you know, 35 minutes later, I had chicken and dumplings. Yeah. It just, it means something different, and the person, they get that in the in the final result. Yeah. And I think it establishes more of a connection to, I think, to, like, it's like you're, it's a vulnerability thing too. Ooh, right? yeah, you're yeah, up to people good. when you're sharing food. Yeah. Like you're, Hey, I'm going to put this thing that I created in front of you and, and I'm hoping that you're going to like it because I like it. And if you don't like it, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. Mm. Like, that's a real good point, man. I think, yeah, folks don't, folks don't bring out that much. Like, yeah, it's, it's a, it, it, man, I think if done well and done right, it is a really vulnerable thing, but like all the good, like heavy, heroic shit comes out of vulnerability, right? So mm-hmm. uh, that's why people have these 
like transcendental meals. Uh, or maybe it's a whole, maybe, you know, like what I'm shooting for, like when folks come hunt with me or whatever, is that that whole weekend kind of makes them feel that way, right? All the parts yeah. feed into the other parts. Like there's been this trust and this display of vulnerability that helps build the trust to get them to that, to, to get them to be able to access the marrow of like what I'm trying to serve up. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think too, uh, was it Anthony Bourdain talked a lot about this, about like the meal, people enjoying the meal or connecting with the meal is more than just the food of the taste of the food. It's like experiential, like it's the setting, it's the smell, it's the sights. It's like this whole thing that brings it that if you took that same dish and you put it in a different environment, it may not draw the same emotions. Yeah, like you know what I figured out was that something I started doing uh, when I had clients was uh, I just keep like a big stock pot going. So we'll clean birds and we'll get carcasses, and as we cook them and stuff, we're throwing those carcasses in there. And I don't, I'm, I'm not concerned with uh, having like translucent stock, right? Like I'll I'll sieve it off, like I get all the floaters and stuff out, but man. I fill it up with bones and I let it cook down until it's like three quarters gone and fill it back up and then take the old bones out and put new in. I mean, I'll keep it going for days and days, but having that going all the time so that like that whole building smells like that. And then when we're, Mm -hmm. we're cooking stuff, I got to make a pan sauce. They see me just pull a ladle of that out and pour it in or just grab a bunch of it for gumbo or whatever it might be like that informs the meal. Uh, it informs the entire experience, and it's something very different than if uh, they just, you know, showed up to a place, shot a bunch of birds, and then came back, and you know, they've got their, they've got their like uh, tomahawk steaks just sitting out for them, right? Yeah, no, it's like I agree with you one hundred percent, and like that became a foundation of like our camps as well as like. I want people so immersed into like the food aspect of it that they're like, how can I not walk away with this without the appreciation of like, of the food side of it? Like, and I think people, it hits people different too. Um, Cause sometimes people don't expect to walk into that. They're like, Oh, you know, I'm going to go pig hunting or, you know, I'm going to go duck hunting. And then they get there and they're just like, Whoa. Like, yeah, man. It's, is, it's a lot, dude. Like it can be a lot. Yeah. And, and it, What's cool is that I keep them real small, so like I don't do more than five people, and yeah. and I can I can tailor it towards what the folks there need, right? Uh-huh. Like I've done it enough that I'm like, oh, they need a little more of this side of it, or they need a little less of this, right? Like or these folks, they need to they need to stay out here and clean these birds, even though it's cold and rainy, because that's what they need. And, you know, there's some hubris to that, like me telling somebody what they need. But I'm just saying you get a read for the group. You kind of steer the group yeah. a little bit. Uh, and, yeah, man, sometimes they're, like, really, like, emotionally draining in a good way. And uh, sometimes they're just so much fun. But you kind of get to that, too, when you're when I'm dealing with, like, repeat folks. And, like, we've got a relationship. We've already kind of gone through a journey together. And so then there's there's different levels of these experiences to reach, right? Man, I, I like seeing the journey play out, like just sort of like the, the narrative build for people, like as they're going through it. I think that's from sort of the other side of the curtain. That's kind of what draws me to what draws me to the whole experience, I think, which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, I mean, nothing's 
nothing's totally altruistic, right? Like you're getting something out of it yeah. too. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, holy smokes, man, this has been a really good conversation. Right on, dude. Uh, um, I did want to hit on a couple of the other recipes, but I think I think we're near and on time. And I know you you said you had some commitments coming up, so I don't want to hold you up, but. One thing I did want to talk about was your smoked venison hot links. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. big foodie. I really like those. You don't often see folks kicking out hot links recipes with with venison, and I think uh, that it really fascinated me because I love hot links, um, and I just uh, I think it's really great. Like an old Earl Campbell. You ever seen like the Earl Campbell? Yeah, uh, yeah, dude. And that's like you know that's a whole nother we're like again like that's making something familiar like i'm actually fixed i'm gonna make a bunch of uh, like bologna and it's really gonna be yeah. kind of summer sausagey whatever but uh but you know make it big right and slice it up and stick it on a loaf of bread uh but yeah making stuff that's familiar to people that folks already have uh like identify with uh, there's really something to that and like i always say like i would way rather somebody kill a deer and grind the whole thing up and just all they do is make like you know uh, Ohio stand like Ohio style like you know shredded cheese tacos and hamburger helper because that's that is uh, exponentially more honest than going and buying meat from anywhere and it's honest and real you know like everything I make is not. Mm-hmm. Instagram worthy. Like there's a lot of times we eat a grilled piece of whatever meat it is and canned green beans and you know, freaking grapes or whatever, right? Like I've got little kids, like it's not all it's not always going to be uh, the most stupendous thing. Uh but the fact that they they understand that the meat that they're eating comes from this or that, you know, they ask what kind of meat is this? And then I could tell them, and I say, that's when daddy called you from up on this mountain or whatever. Like, that's got a lot of value to it, right? So if all you're doing, yeah. if all you're doing is making hamburger helper lasagna and eating white bread with margarine, which is like what I grew up eating, uh, like I wouldn't be messed up about serving that to my kids because there's nostalgia in it to me, right? I'll tell them that's what granddaddy used mm-hmm. to, to make, right? Like, I, I didn't have, you know, I was like 15 years old before I ever had a salad dressing that was a Thousand Island. Right, because I ate what, what like my folks knew, and like my folks came from folks that were like sharecroppers in the South, and like you know had we we've got food that's important to us, but we didn't have this wide berth. Like my grandparents never saw an avocado, right? Uh, and they, you know they were making they were making Thousand Island dressing because they were whipping up mayonnaise and relish and ketchup, right? So, mm-hmm. but anyway, yeah, hot links, dude. They're uh, they're good, right? And then especially like if you're Southern and you grew up with that, yep. it makes you think of church picnics and fairs and all that, all that jazz. Gas stations. Yeah, man. <laughs> like, things, yeah. Boudin, like everyone loves boudin, man. Like that's gas station food, right? Yep. Yep. Some of the best boudin comes out of gas stations. Yeah. For sure. My mom was big. She'd go to every time because uh, she worked a lot in Texas and like, south texas and houston and so she'd go as she was down work and she'd go over across the border and pick up boudin 
uh, you know, from Louisiana or South Texas. Like, I don't want to get into the the debate on the 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 premierness of Boudin, but um, she would come back and it's like Boudin on the grill, like crispy to the point yeah. that some of it was like black with uh, ranch style beans is like the way we like the way I grew up eating it. Um, and man, just like that, you talk about nostalgia. That's nostalgia for me. I remember it. I can smell it. I can see it. Like it just feels good. Yeah. I love it, man. I love it with like grilling it or frying it like crispy casing. I love it for breakfast. Mm-hmm. man. I love, you know, that and a cast iron skillet and then scrambled eggs after duck hunting. That's great breakfast, man. Ooh, that's great. Well, what's, uh, what's the best way people can connect with you? Yeah, so uh, website's Black Duck Revival. Uh, Instagram is uh, just the handles Black Duck Revival. The podcast is the Black Duck Revival podcast. Uh, so, yeah. Noticing a trend. <laughs> yeah, man, keep it all, all on brand, right? All simple. Right. Cool. Well, um, no, definitely thanks. Thanks for chatting. This is kind of like the moment in the show where if you have a last thought, last idea, question, anything you want to leave the, the listeners with, please fire away. If not, don't worry about it. We'll move on. Uh, man, pluck your birds. Just pluck your birds. And if that's all I ever contribute in a culinary way, I will have I will have done good. You don't have to get in the eat in the guts or any of that other weird stuff. You don't have to use the feet in your stock. <laughs> Just pluck your birds, uh, and all of your all of your meals will be better. I uh, I think you've contributed a lot to the culinary world, <laughs> not just in this show, but in general, which is great. So um, no, thanks again for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, Hope to connect with you again at some point and, and chat out some more food stuff. I, I liked where the conversation was going. So um, I encourage anybody out there listening, like uh, make sure you head over to uh, Instagram, uh, check out the Black Duck Revival, check out the podcast too. Great stuff there. And then, uh, you know, thanks everybody for listening this evening. Uh, we'll make all our show notes online. I'll link some of the recipes and stuff that we talked about, some of the articles I mentioned and, uh, all that fun stuff there. And then uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening to, please punch that five-star button. Leave us a review. Tell us we're doing right or, you know, tell us we're doing wrong. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.